Hello and welcome to week 52 of 2018 Read Through the Bible with your non-angelic hosts, Jeff and Kelly. My name is Kelly. Come on, Jeff, say it. And for the last time, I am Jeff. I'm still Jeff. I have always been Jeff. I will remain being Jeff from this time until I am no more. Yes, we did it. This is going to be our last episode. Well, we haven't of done it year. yet because we just started it. I know. Okay, so we'll talk about that at the end. Lord willing, How, we have done it. Lord willing, if if the bridge don't, if the wait, the creek Lord don't willing, rise. and the creek don't rise. Yeah. that's what you're supposed to say yeah. if you're an old man yeah. at a Baptist church, and you have a creek, and you have a creek on your way. How was your week, Jeff? <laughs> this final week of the year. Uh, it's been fine. My uh, my uh, daughter came home from college, and then we went to Racine for Christmas, and took our dog to the in-laws' house, and it went better than I thought it was going to go. So that was good. That sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> oh, it my was. My in-laws bring their dog to my house. That's also fun. Yeah, he's a little stuck up, kind of spoiled. Which makes me wonder about my husband. But, alas, I guess you can't compare how they treat a dog to how they raise their son. Uh, There's probably some similarities, but I've also noticed that people change as they get older. They do. They calm down a lot. They do, and they tend to uh, spoil little things more than they ever did when they were younger. Yes. That's their job as older people. I guess so. Asterisk, I am not speaking particularly of my in-laws. I'm sure they've always been purely delightful. Just amazing. Um, My week was fine. Thanks for asking. Yeah, we, how was your week there? Hey. We had Christmas, and then I got sick. This is the third time I've been sick this fall. I don't know what's going on. Mm. I do not get sick this often. So, I apologize for that. Makes my voice a little weird, but c'est la vie. All right, we are finishing up by covering the final book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. And I tell you what, this book was a revelation to me. (laughs) (laughs) That was a joke. That was very generous laughter. Was that a joke? I assume that was a joke. That was a joke. If it wasn't a joke, I feel a little conspicuous now that I laughed so much at the thing that was not a joke. (laughs) It was a joke. Okay, I thought Um, so. Jeff, the author of Revelation is John. He is. Would you give us a little background on this John person? Uh, He was a disciple. He was the beloved disciple. He liked Jesus a lot. Talks about love a lot. First, second, third John. Gospel of John, all written by John. John is uh, writing this from prison in the island of Patmos, and uh, yeah, that's John. He was actually mentioned in our message this morning that our pastor taught us about James and John, sons of thunder. He talked about when they asked Jesus to do anything for them that they asked, <laughs> they were fighting for the right to sit beside him. Um And he also pointed out that John had a very long life. He was the only one of the 11 disciples, not 
regarding Judas, who was not killed for their faith. He actually had this long life and was exiled, as you said, and he gets this revelation. And he mentions that he receives this while he was in the spirit. So Revelation is a super easy book to understand. It's very clear. It's very concise and gives us a very accurate description of the end times. I'm glad you think so. It doesn't, really. So today, I think to summarize it, we're just going to do exactly that. We're going to summarize it, Jeff. Well, here's my understanding of the end times, Kelly. In a nutshell, we're in the age of the church, church age. The next thing that's going to happen is uh, basically it's going to get worse, which I believe we're already part of that. And then at a certain point, there's going to be a rapture of the believers taken up to heaven that's talked about in the Thessalonians, pictured with Noah, pictured with Enoch. Uh, Anytime God drops judgment, he always gives his people a way out. And... So that happens, and then uh, at some point shortly thereafter, the seven-year tribulation begins, three and a half years of relative peace, followed by three and a half years of uh, not good stuff. And then there's a culminating battle at the end, the Battle of Armageddon, and uh, Christ returns in victory to smash the bad guys. And then after that, there is a thousand-year kingdom on the earth, and then after that, Satan is loosed for a short time, to tempt people one more time and of course people fall for it and the uh, you know some of the children and so forth of the people who went into the kingdom are going to fall for it to show just one more time that as long as things are on this earth sin is going to be there and it's going to be bad so then after that he burns up this place and he creates a new heavens and a new earth that is the basic understanding of the end times from my standpoint which is called pre-trib, uh, rapture, pre-millennial, pre-millennial that uh, Christ has to come back before the millennium starts. So there's all kinds of divergent views there depending on how literally you read things. I tend to read things fairly literally because if you read Old Testament prophecy and see how it was fulfilled in the New Testament, it's fairly literally uh, with some wiggle room there with some of the prophecies. They're a little... Uh, I mean, they're still fulfilled literally It just may not be that clear beforehand. So I think that's what a lot of revelation is. Uh, Paul says, I think in Corinthians, something about if God had made it so clear what was going to happen with Jesus Christ, people wouldn't have done it. We wouldn't have killed him. And I think the same thing is true with revelation, that if he made prophecy so clear, people always go against what God says. So if he makes it totally clear to everybody, then we would just mess it up. So he doesn't reveal it in such a way that it's absolutely certain what everything is, because if he did, we would just mess it up. So that's my spiritual reasoning for why nobody can make sense out of Revelations, because he's not telling us everything, because if he did, we would mess it up. So if you don't understand it, that's okay. Relax. Mm -hmm. all 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 that being said, though, I do think there are things you can understand. And if you tie in the book of Daniel... The stuff that Jesus says in the Gospels, stuff that Paul says in Thessalonians in various places, Revelation, Peter, uh, they're all talking about these things. If you tie all those things together, I do think you can have a fairly solid understanding of what it is that's going to happen without 
you know, you're not going to get every detail right, but, you know, I think the basic thing is understandable. That's why it's called a revelation, because he is indeed revealing something. So I do think there's stuff you can understand. So let's throw that in there, too. You know what you're not going to understand? Those locusts with the women's hair and the little bee faces or something? I don't know. That's weird. Yeah. I heard when I was a kid that those were Apache helicopters. Yes, that's, well, that's a John Walford thing, I think. (laughs) But John Walford once told me I played the offertory really well, young lady. So I always excused his, his little specific things. He would be very specific with what he said everything was. And I would almost encourage people not to do that because you're going to end up looking pretty stupid because things change. It's like how many people have been picked out as well that's the antichrist that's the antichrist like the pope was the mm-hmm. antichrist in luther's day and you know hitler was the antichrist and Mussolini was the antichrist and donald trump is the antichrist and on and on and on it goes now if it's the antichrist you'll totally know it and furthermore the antichrist isn't showing up until the tribulation so if you did know who the antichrist was that would mean you're in the tribulation so you don't want to do that anyway so stop mm-hmm. it The book opens with some short messages to these churches. There are seven of them. What do you take that to mean? Well, if you remember last week's podcast, the last epistles in the New Testament are all warnings to the churches. And Peter said judgment begins with the house of God. So when you have a book about judgment, you will notice that the first thing he drops judgment on is the church. That we're the ones that supposedly know this. So therefore, we're the ones that are supposed to be getting ready. So, the warnings to the churches, I believe there's one church that was all good, the rest of them all have judgment, and then there's, you know, Laodicea was all bad. And I have heard people say, and it's it's an intriguing theory, that the seven churches... Just a theory, guys! Yeah, that the seven churches represent the uh, different uh, eras of church history. So, we would be... You can kind of fit it. You can kind of see how it would fit in there. If you go through and look what he says about each church, that it fits the different eras of church history. We, of course, should be in the era of Laodicea, which would seem to make sense. So that's an intriguing theory. I don't know that it's actually true, but I have read some explanations like that that were uh, pretty thoughtful, makes you think. Mm-hmm. Anything else with that theme, or should we move on? Because the next part is this throne in heaven, and it is surrounded by creatures. And this, they're kind of interesting creatures described. Um, But they are singing without ceasing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. That's their worship. I just said they were singing it. Why do I assume they're singing? It just says they said it. No, so I think they're I think it's because it. we're so familiar with the hymn, right? Well, I think there's other places where it says they're singing. And also, there's a glimpse of this in Ezekiel. And so there's some similarity mm-hmm. there with what Ezekiel saw. If you remember back to Ezekiel, um, with minus the wheel thing. But, I mean, otherwise, you know, the creatures, the angels in the throne room and stuff. Um, That goes through chapter 4 and 5, and then the next thing that happens, this theme of the seven seals. So things start to be opened. You got your seals, you got your bowls, and you got your trumpets. And these are different kind of judgments that are revealed, and they each, you know, are a judgment upon a different aspect of 
human nature and on humans and on creation in general uh, increasing in intensity as we move our way through. Okay. And that takes us all the way till chapter... Well, we have some stuff kind of jump in there because there's these two witnesses that are well, also before that, you have the 144,000 of Israel. So you have the 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes that are sealed to make it through the tribulation. These are some of the people who will populate the kingdom at the end with however many Gentiles make it through. But you've got the, the sealing of Israel. And so, again, it's not talking about the uh, Jehovah's Witnesses there. Isn't it them that had 144,000? Yes. I'm and you sure, got to yeah. work your way into that group. And then, of course, accidentally the religion actually took. So they have way more than 144,000, which totally surprised everybody. And so now that's, I think they're kind of doing away with that. And so now even more than that can make it in. But you really have to try hard to be 144,000 people. But that's just all a bunch of hooey because it's clearly stated 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And he even names each of the tribes. So why people don't take that literally is beyond me. Chapter 11, these two witnesses, they prophesy for 1,200 days, 1,260, and no one can stop them. So is this kind of coming back and picturing those Old Testament prophets? Uh, people have speculated who it is, and of course I have just warned about speculating. Um, but some people think it's maybe Elijah and Elisha, some people maybe Moses and Elijah to kind of summarize the whole thing. I really have no idea. Mm-hmm. Could be John the Baptist, Elijah. I yeah. I wasn't asking you to name them. Could be them. new it's people just, for all it, I know. I don't know. Yeah. It feels very similar to what the Old Testament prophets were kind of going through. Yep. And then they die. And, and they, they lay there presents, for three days. I think is an interesting thing, too, that they exchange presents when the two witnesses I know. are dead. People are having a I party. I thought that was weird. It's Christmas time. Christmas evil. No, come on. <laughs> no, that's why, no, no. That's why I didn't send you a Christmas present. Because Jesus oh, and see. everything. Yeah. <laughs> so these prophets are lying there dead, and it is kind of weird that everyone goes, Hey, yay, let's go give gifts. Let's buy you a new makeup eyeshadow palette. <laughs> like, uh, that's weird. Yeah. <laughs> that's a weird response. But they come back to life. And then you've got, like, the trumpets are kind of happening in between this. But then, chapter 12, we've got the woman and the dragon. Oh, boy. Yeah, and that's a picture, a little weird. as far as I understand, of Israel and kind of some of the stuff going on with Israel. You can also, I've heard people tie it in directly with Mary, how they had to run down to Egypt and everything. So, I think the Mary thing is kind of more of a, a sign of this. I think, actually, it's talking about Israel bringing forth the Messiah and just kind of the... Just the persecution that Israel's gone through over the years because of that. And yet, the you know, salvation is of the Jews. So the Messiah comes anyway. Can't stop them. But yeah, mm-hmm. the spiritual idea of the other things going on, you get those glimpses every once in a while that there are bigger things going on in the world that we are not aware of. And then the first beast, the second beast, there's a lamb, there's the 144,000, there's three angels, there's a harvest, there's seven angels, they have seven plagues. Oh my goodness. Yes, and this is where you bring in the Antichrist, and there's a human ruler, one of the beasts, and uh, 
he's a human ruler. He's able to do miracles. He is a political slash religious leader, kind of combining those two things together. As you get into chapter 18, talking about Babylon, there's the government and the religion and the economy are all tied together. And the Antichrist is in control of all of it. So you take the mark of the Antichrist so that you can buy and sell. And so people will do that. They will deny Christ. They will deny God. They will choose eternal hell so that they can buy and sell stuff. So again, that message is consistent throughout the Bible about the dangers of the money. And mm. uh, the whole Babylon thing there in chapter 18 is a massive judgment against the consumerist, materialistic city of Babylon, which is representing this government, religious, economic system that the Antichrist is in charge of. And then, there's great rejoicing in heaven. There's a multitude singing out, Hallelujah, salvation, glory, power. And just the comparison between that and what's just gone on is really cool if you pay attention to it once you know you've been reading through revelation and you're like it it's dire i mean it is not good and then you get to this marriage supper and the singing um then i heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out hallelujah for the lord our god the almighty reigns and i think this is even more beautiful because these this the multitude here that's singing this really means it. <laughs> it's just got to be such a beautiful sound. Well, and the, um, the thing, too, is they're celebrating not only the coming of the kingdom, but they're celebrating the destruction of the bad guys. And mm-hmm. there's that joining in of the righteousness of God that the destruction of the bad guys is really, really a happy thing. And to be delivered from them, to be delivered from it, you know, the sin, the curse, the whole thing that... It's it's just truly happy. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that we, you know, cute little Americans fully understand that. I think the way we can understand it is, like, how crushing it can be to have things happen in our life that we can say are direct results of sin and living in a fallen world. And to be relieved from that or to find the solution to that in God here at the supper of the lamb that's just probably helps us understand it a little better to understand that that sin and that dealing with this fallen world is going to be taken away like ugh that's just overwhelming yeah um okay so then there's this rider on the white horse and then the millennium gets brought in and during this time Like, way back at the beginning, I said, oh, sorry, I shouldn't say, I shouldn't skip over the fact that Satan is defeated, but there's also this great white throne judgment. Um, so I didn't know if you had anything to say about those two things. I didn't want to skip them. I got nothing. Okay, so we'll just keep going, because the new heaven and the new earth come to fruition. Yeah, I just want one, okay, if you're going that far, um... I am. Chapter 20, he says six times he uses the word a thousand years. Okay. Do you mm-hmm. get that, Kelly? I do. Six times. Six. He said a six thousand times. years. So people always say, yes. where do you get this idea of millennial kingdom? Isn't there? 
but he says six times, and that's not even in the whole chapter 20. It's like in the first, like, 12 verses, maybe. He says it's six times. The thousand years. That's kind of where we're getting it from. So it's like, if it's not a literal thousand years, you know, why would he be saying a thousand years six times in there? You hear what I'm saying? Yes. This I whole do hear idea, what you're saying. This whole idea that, you know, you have to spiritualize everything. It's like, if it was a thousand years, how would he say it was a thousand years? I would think that repeating a thousand years six times would be a fairly effective way to communicate that it was going to be a thousand years. So, I don't know. It's just weird to me. So, anyway, just want to throw that in there. Okay. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. And then there's the judgment, and then there's the new heaven and the new earth that are put into place. And um, the new Jerusalem. I always had this picture that it was kind of (laughs) like, I shouldn't say. But Spinal Tap, when the little Stonehenge gets like lowered onto the stage, it's not like that at all. I know, but that's the picture I have of it—that it's this big city kind of floating, and it sort of just gets lowered down. I don't know why I have that image in my head, but this is this is completely unlike Spinal Tap. This is amazing, and it's beautiful, and the description of it is just. I mean, how cool? I don't know. There's no other word except it's so cool. So it gets lowered. There's all kinds of, like, fancy things that I can't even really pronounce. Chrysolite and onyx and topaz and beryl and chrysopase. Yeah, and the it's 12th was be, amethyst. It's going to be bright and shiny and colorful. And it always yes. reminds me of if you go to, like touristy places we went to niagara falls about 10 years ago and they're like the little town by niagara falls when we walked home at night because they have to light up niagara falls at nighttime with the colors and stuff and then you walk home back to the hotel through all of this neon you know lights and colors because when people make things there's always lights and colors everywhere so it's like you know on your new year's eve when you drop the ball in Times square there's like lights and colors because that's there's just that's our pathetic attempt to duplicate the glories of heaven because whenever the glories of heaven are on display there's always lights and colors and it's got to be a fairly amazing thing to behold mm-hmm. and um the river of life is through this middle of this city and there is the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit um, yielding a different kind of fruit each month, which first of all is going to be really super cool. And secondly, way back in the beginning of Genesis, I had mentioned that there was going to be a garden at the end of the book, like the entire book, the Bible. And this is kind of what I meant. The fact that there's a river and there's a tree and I translated that as a garden. It does not say garden. No, it's a giant city. I know. But there is, is a like river the exact opposite and there's a tree. <laughs> I've seen a lot of gardens that didn't have rivers running through them. I know. <laughs> I also would like to say that the tree has a different fruit, 12 fruits, one for each month, which clearly implies that there's time in eternity, and there are months, and there's 12 months, which certainly seems to say that there's years there too. So the idea that eternity is outside of time or whatever I, again, I think that's been overstated and uh, weird things have happened with that. There is time there, clearly. That's creepy. 
When I was little, I used to think about the word eternity and I would try to let my mind go blank. I think I read a little too much of A Wrinkle in Time by Madeline Lingle. You did pretty well making your mind go blank, that's for sure. Oh, no, but if you try to picture eternity in your head, it's weird. Your brain, like, fritzes out. It's really cool. (laughs) Okay, child of the 70s. Yep. I wasn't even on anything. (laughs) Cold medication? Um, No medication. Now I am. Um... No, I didn't mean that. I meant that I'm sick today, and I'm currently... I I took DayQuil. That's all I meant, people. I lowered the conversation into the gutter. I apologize. You did. I did. Okay, so there's not going to be any night there either. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And this final chapter is just amazing. John kind of wraps it up. He falls down. He worships the angel who showed him this revelation. And um, he hears God, behold, I'm coming soon. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And the final verse of the Bible, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. So, so cool. And I like, I like especially too, the uh, even so come quickly. Yes. Even John back then seeing that. And now we're this far forward we're just saying it even more even so much more come quickly and that is the final book and the final verse of the bible and that brings us to the end so congratulations chef for recording all these podcasts with me through the year congratulations to you yeah you did a nice job job. (laughs) jeff Having completed this goal of ours, tell me one or two reasons that you personally are thankful or have seen something happen in your faith because you have read through the Bible. And I know you've read through the Bible other times too, but what is it about reading the complete front to back of the scriptures that helps you in your faith? The continuity how everything ties together and you can take little Melchizedek out of nowhere from Genesis and tie that into some huge point about Jesus Christ and just how it ties together how the prophecy is fulfilled and the continuity plus seeing all of the people who by faith went before us who did all this stuff who were motivated by God's word even though by sight, it didn't make much sense, but they went by faith. And, you know, one of the, the main points of Revelation, one of the main points of the Bible is that you've got this little life here, people. And it's appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. There's a judgment coming. You're going to stand before God. And it's a really good idea for you to know what it is he's talking about, because you're going to stand there someday. And now is the time to get ready for that judgment And Revelation talks about judgment several times in there. And every single time the Bible, whether Revelation or Romans or Corinthians or wherever, talks about judgment, the judgment is always based on our works. It's based on what we've done. So it's a really good idea for us to figure out what it is we're supposed to be doing down here. And, of course, how it is we would be able to do that, which is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And humanity is in a big time mess down here. We cannot save ourselves. Uh, 
So God became flesh and dwelt among us. He bore our sins in his own body on the cross. He died for us. He rose again. He provides us everything we need for life and godliness. He equips us to do righteousness. And it's big time important stuff. And there's so many other distractions and stupid stuff out here that we pay attention to. Why it is we find it so hard to read God's book when this is like the only thing that matters. This is the foundation we stand upon. This is the whole deal. Why it is we, we spend so much time and energy on stupid stuff. We don't make time for this. I think it's sad. And uh, you got to read this book. And read it again. And read it again. And read it again. And read it again. It's not going to do you any bad. It's going to do you plenty of good. Read it again. I think for me... Thank you for asking. Um, I think for me, reading through the scriptures helps. Um, we have been talking how he tells us to be holy, which is sort of going along with what you just said, that we'll be judged on how we work out you know, our salvation, what we do with it. And to me, being told that I should be holy as he is holy, unless I know who he is, I don't know what that is for me. Does that make sense? So when I read the Bible, I learn more about his character and who he is. And then that gives me, the spirit can work in me to bring about my sanctification so that I become what he's telling me to be. So every time I read the Bible, I feel like I learn more about the character of God. Secondly, I think every time I read the Bible, a different theme will and back in the beginning of the year, I called it a motif. So different motifs will stand out to me each time. The one that stood out to me that I've talked repeatedly about is the steadfast love of God. And that means a couple different layers of things in my faith. Number one, it means that he is a steadfast God. And so therefore, I can put my faith in him and I can trust him and um, follow what he's saying and know that in the end, he is faithful. And that's that's all that matters. That's all I need, like you're saying. Secondly, it means that I need to be steadfast in my love and my faith um, for myself and how I display that to those around me. So it's convicting as well. Um, and then thirdly, it just helps me tie the whole story together. So when I look at the Israelites in the Old Testament, I start to understand the law a little bit better. Why did that happen? Why was the law brought? Why were the judges brought? Why were the kings brought? And then you reach the New Testament and you're like, wait, Jesus came on the scene. Why is he here? What was he doing? What was his intent? His intent? What was it tying into the Old Testament? What was he fulfilling? And so it just starts to make sense. So you're not pulling these verses out of context, having no clue why this relates back to the Old Testament. So there's just a knowledge that starts to build as well. You can start to tie things together. So I find that helpful in my faith because I like to ask questions, but you're not going to find out the question, you know, the answers to the question unless you spend the time going through the Bible. And while I am a person who likes to ask questions, I also love, capital L-O-V-E, the fact that no matter how much time I spend studying God, studying his word, I am always learning more. 
I would hate to have a God that could just be wrapped up in like, (laughs) in my Bible, there's 1,875 pages. I mean, what kind of God would that be, right? If we read that and just completely understood everything about him. So I love that I still have questions because that, you know, that reminds me that God is so much bigger than me or you or any of us. And that is affirming to me in my faith. Cool. These are the words of life. Where else can we go? And these are God-breathed words. And it fully equips the man of God for every good work. And it's just the plus sides of reading the book are eternal and abundantly amazing. The downsides are also eternal and abundantly terrible for neglecting the word. So it's the words of life. You got to get them. Yep, right. So thank you for everyone that joined us through the year. Thank you for listening. If you've been listening, we appreciate it. It does actually mean a lot to us, doesn't it, Jeff? It sure does. Yes, yes, it does. All right, till the next time. We'll see ya. Bye. Goodbye. Okay,